Good morning. It's Thursday, the fifteenth of June, and I'm Govind Raj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital, the only city where, according to a very recent report, the cost of buying a house has not gone up in recent times. More on that soon. But the other top reports for today: Morgan Stanley says India's lesser-noticed earnings growth prospects amongst best in the world. A whopping 134 of 684 aircraft belonging to Indian Airlines are actually parked on ground. Housing prices are rising all over the country, except in Mumbai, where it's falling. And finally, more long-range electric cars are coming. One promises to take you from Mumbai to Bangalore on one charge. This is a core report with Govind Raj Athiraj. Morgan Stanley makes a powerful case for earnings growth. Investment banker Morgan Stanley has made a strong case for a major earnings upswing in the next year, which may not be entirely reflected in current stock prices, high as they might seem. This fundamentally means that a sizable basket of Indian companies are set to be more profitable and turn in better margins in the next year or two. Then they have till now, even if growth overall in the economy is steady or even the world slows down. A June fifth report, actually put out by Morgan Stanley's India Equity Strategy team, says net profit growth of Sensex and Nifty companies year on year was twenty one percent and eighteen percent respectively, beating their analyst expectations by ten percentage points and four percentage points. The larger point is that earnings growth was positive for eight of the ten sectors covered, with consumer discretionary companies reporting the best earnings growth, followed by communication services. Now, significantly, the top-down view may not reflect the earnings upswing, which people may have missed. Rhythm Desai, head of equity research and India equity strategist for Morgan Stanley, told Bloomberg Television yesterday. Now, before I play back his quote, what he is saying is. Some sectors like IT services and even global materials and energy will not do well. But what will do well is rate sensitives like financials, sectors exposed to India's growth like discretionary consumption and industrials. Let's listen in. Earnings estimates that are there on the street uh, right now for the next twelve months may get actually beaten because corporate India is experiencing a margin upswing, uh, which I don't think is baked into the estimates. May also not be baked into share prices right now, so it does seem like stock markets may power ahead in the coming twelve uh, to twenty-four months. Growth elsewhere in the world has been a problem, so it's not just IT services, but even global materials and energy to some extent have done poorly. Defensive sectors also have done poorly because we are in an upswing in terms of a cycle. Uh, the market has to make its choices; it cannot be uh, bidding everything up. Something has to underperform. So utilities and telecoms, which are essentially defensive sectors and not really uh, hinged to the cyclical recovery that we are in the midst of, uh, also underperform. What outperforms is you know rate sensitives like financials, uh, sectors that are exposed to uh, India's accelerating growth like industrials and discretionary consumption, and I think that template is valid for the next twelve to twenty-four months because I think growth in India is. At least on a relative basis to the rest of the world, widening uh, on an absolute basis, uh, the headline growth may show some slowdown in the next twelve months, largely because of a slowdown in exports. But as I mentioned at the outset, margins are expanding, 
So earnings growth in the next 12 months, I think will be better than the last 12 months. Now, the big question, how should one look at this going forward? And more importantly, should you be investing today? Let me take a step back before that. Last month, Morgan Stanley released an extremely bullish and even rosy sounding report called How India Has Transformed in Less Than a Decade, referring quite obviously to the Narendra Modi government's rule since 2014. It talked about 10 big changes, including supply-side reforms, formalization of the economy, and so on, and 10 implications of this, including manufacturing and capital expenditure as percentage of GDP rising, export market share doubling, and shifts in India's consumption basket as India's per capita GDP goes from $2,200 right now to around $5,200 in nine years' time. Good as it sounds, I would broadly term this as hope and desire in a positive way, of course. But one point which caught my eye then and now is the profit boom. Share of corporate profits in India's GDP doubling from all-time lows in 2020, leading to strong, absolute and relative earnings, which in turn explains the rich valuations. Now let's come back to the question. Should you be buying now? So this is all a function of uh, what time frame you have in mind. And if you're looking at this from a three to five year perspective, I don't think it's too late to participate in India. I mean, you do cite uh, the headline valuations, but bear in mind that this is a market which is experiencing a new profit cycle where share of profits in GDP are coming from uh, uh, really low levels. Uh, Way back in 2020, that number had dropped to 2%. It's now at 4 And the likelihood is that the profit share in GDP goes to 8% in the next uh, three or four years. Now, for a GDP that's growing at a nominal rate of even 10%, it means profits could be compounding at 20% for three or four years. I don't think there's any other market in the world that's offering that type of growth prospects. The market is not totally oblivious. So some of it is baked into share prices, which is why you experience these high trailing multiples. But if you take this thing forward, then India is actually not that expensive because in a lot of markets around the world, earnings will decline in the next one or two years. So they are actually going to be looking a lot richer two years out than India is right now. Okay, so that's the earnings story looking very strong as we go ahead and based, of course, on fundamental performance by companies. Now, earnings are still ahead. Right now, the markets are still holding very strong with the Sensex up 85 points to 63,228 and the Nifty up 40 points to 18,755 just yesterday. And all of these are close to record highs. Why does India have so many aircraft parked on the ground? India is one of the hottest aviation markets in the world right now and rightly so as we see both infrastructure and airline expansion at levels not seen before. We are not fully off the starting point yet. A whopping 130 of 684 aircraft or almost 20% of the country's fleet are grounded, as in they cannot fly and won't be able to for some time to come. Of these, 59 roughly belong to Go First, which has been grounded since May 4th last month. But even if you take them out, it's a large number. The reasons are many and range from financial, which is Go First, currently in insolvency, to technical, broadly termed as supply chain issues involving aircraft engines. Interestingly, Indigo, which is in the pink of financial health, at least relatively and at this moment, has around 30 aircraft grounded. What does this mean from a capacity and availability of seats perspective and most importantly for fares in coming months, which as we know are sky high, 
particularly for spot bookings. To discuss this, I'm joined by Kapil Kaul, CEO of airline consulting and research firm Kappa India. So our fleet right now going is about 684 and we would have about 130 aircraft grounded as of now. And what's the primary reason for uh, all these aircraft being grounded? If you look at uh, Air India's fleet, which is getting more and more operational as they are investing heavily in terms of getting the aircraft airworthy. Uh, So that's historic reasons perhaps uh, for them because they had not invested in in making the aircraft airworthy. As Campbell said recently, that 787 required 30,000 parts. So they're getting aircrafts operational and airworthy. Largely, they also got hamstrung by the supply chain issues, but they are getting their fleet operational, so it's getting better and better for them. Uh, Indigo is a supply chain issue problem. The Pratt & Whitney engines is a challenge for them. They have roughly about 30 aircrafts grounded. Spice uh, has aircraft, roughly about 30 aircraft grounded, including their Q4s. And as far as Goy are concerned, is that 59 aircraft grounded. Out of that, prior to their filing for insolvency, there were about 25, 26 operational and about 30 plus aircraft grounded. So the total fleet size is of now roughly 684 and about 125 to 130 aircraft on ground. Of the 59 that you mentioned of Goer's fleet, you are saying that almost half, about 25? 25, 26, they were operating and about 30 plus uh, were on ground. And they also had a supply chain, largely engine related issues. Right. I know Goer is to do with a financial issue, but the rest of the aircraft which are on ground, what's like a realistic time frame for their returning to service? As I said, um, the Air India fleet is getting operational. They have, I think, now almost a double-digit numbers. They're getting operational. Most of the fleet is in air. As for Indigo is concerned, I think they've started receiving engines. We expect by second half of the fiscal, most of the grounded aircraft started com- coming back into operations. Uh, Spice Jet. They are in the process of making the aircraft airworthy, as you would have read from their chairman's statement, that uh, the funds that they will receive from ECGLS would go in activating the fleet. They want to activate about 20 plus aircraft. Uh, So I would think if all goes as per plan by second half the year, most of these aircraft, and I'm not counting Goyer, that that's now into an insolvency code, so we don't know what happens there. Minus that, I think if you take 60 odd planes, if you take 60 to 70 aircraft, excluding Goyer, we would expect most of them to be operational uh, by second half of the fiscal. Right. And just to revisit that point, uh, you said most of these are Airbus A320s? Um, yes, Spice is 737s, uh, but most of others are A320 family, yes. Okay. So now tying it to the somewhat obvious question. Now, we're obviously looking at a huge fare spike in recent weeks, particularly after the first week of May when Go First shut down. But in general, uh, how would you link capacity coming back into service versus uh, fares at this point of time? So we have a capacity crisis as we spoke last time. Uh, I haven't seen in the last 20 years a capacity crisis of this magnitude. If you take data of demand, if we go back to pre-COVID demand, we are 125 aircraft short to 130 aircraft short, which roughly means if we take a average 450 plus aircraft in domestic, roughly about 30% of the fleet is ground, 25-30% of the fleet is grounded. And it's logical that will impact fares, and it has impacted fares, and I think it will continue to impact fares till the supply side eases up. And as I said, the supply side is likely to ease up by second half of the fiscal, though you will see fares moderating from quarter two 
largely because of the seasonal impact in July, August, September are, are the weakest period in the fiscal year. So you would see traffic easing up a bit, so would the fares. But largely till the capacity is back in here, you would not expect the fares to ease up. Right. So various airlines have announced fresh capacity expansion plans, including uh, Vistara, which said that they are getting 10 aircraft. They may be looking at international or domestic. Where does all of that fit in this equation of the total size of fleet versus grounded? So, uh, as I said, uh, the grounded planes is of now 125 to 30. And what's likely to be inducted, if we take the 10 that was supposed to be inducted of Goyer out of our calculation right now, I would expect you would uh, be getting about 100 plus, 110 aircrafts uh, and li- largely from second half of the fiscal. So let's put it like this. If you take Goyer off, you have about 70-odd aircraft grounded and the inductions are roughly going to be 110. So you would roughly see about 180 aircraft being into the system starting from quarter two, but largely from second half of the fiscal. Right. So by next year, at least calendar, then if some of these aircraft come back, the new capacity expansions, the capital expenditures work out, then we're looking at a fairly stable state in terms of capacity versus demand. Yes, I think, in fact, it may turn out to be to the other side uh, from second half, because if we assume that 110 new aircraft come in and you would get almost 70 excluding go back in here, you will have a very high supply side uh, it will become almost opposite of what you saw in the first half. So I would expect the second half to be radically different from the first half if the supply chain issues ease up and all these grounded and the new inductions happen as per plan. Right. Uh, Kapil, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Air Govind. Thanks very much. Thank you. Still on aviation, a new airline called Jet Wings, spelled J-E-T-T, Wings, has said it has received a no-objection certificate to operate scheduled commuter air transport services from the government and wants to start flying from October this year. The airline will be based in Guwahati and plans to connect regional destinations in the east and northeast initially. The airline said at a press conference yesterday that it wants to start flying under the government's Regional Airport and Connectivity Scheme or UDAN which expands to Ude Desh Ka Aam Nagrik scheme. The airline promises in its logo to connect the Northeast to the world. Right now, Jet Wings, spelled with a double T, as I could see runs a multi-dimensional training institute based in the Northeast offering training for everything from pilots and cabin crew to fashion, interior design and architecture. Unusual you might say, but the aviation industry has always attracted entrepreneurs from varied backgrounds. Many hail from air travel, or linked fields. Indigo, for example, fits right there, as did Jet Airways, which by the way has a new owner after having gone through an agonizingly long and debilitating insolvency process, but is yet to get off the ground. The most unusual background, I would say, in India's short aviation history would be Damania Airways, started by a businessman, Parvez Damania, who ran a hatchery before venturing into the skies. Airfares are up, stock prices are up, and could house prices be far behind? Well, housing prices across the top eight cities of India increased 8% year-on-year thanks to strong housing demand supplemented by what the construction industry calls consistent quality launches by top developers. The highest rate increase in residential prices was in Delhi at 16%, followed by Kolkata at 15% and Bangalore at 14%. This is from a Credai Collier's Liasis Fora's housing price tracker report for the first quarter, which is until March 31st, 2023. 
the only city, according to the report, where prices fell on an average square feet price of 19,219, also the highest in the country by 2%, is Mumbai, which also has the highest unsold inventory in the country at 37%. A testament to the sheer size of bank balances of the builders and developers in the city, I would imagine, or more likely, their size of ego. Not for nothing do I call this the most rocking city in the world. Unsold inventory also shot up in Hyderabad, currently quoting at around 10,410 rupees a square feet. Back in Delhi, areas like Dwarka Expressway saw prices rising by 59% thanks to the opening of various roads connecting to it, which means friends of mine who live there, I will surely visit you now. Ahmedabad, by the way, has the most affordable real estate in the country, around 6,324 rupees on an average per square feet, and Chennai at around 7,395 rupees per square feet, and Kolkata are close at around 7,211 per square feet. More electric cars coming up. And finally, more specifically, more long-range electric cars are coming. Toyota has said it is planning an electric vehicle with a range of 1,200 kilometers and a charge time of only 10 minutes. So Mumbai to Bangalore, quite easily in one charge, assuming you don't get stuck at the guards in Kanala. Now that will come a few years later though. Toyota says it will introduce a high-performance lithium-ion battery to its next-generation electric vehicles by 2026, which will charge quickly and have a range of 1,000 kilometers or 620 miles. And even closer, like in a few months, Volvo has unveiled the C40 Recharge, an electric SUV that will be launched in August with delivery starting in September. The C40 Recharge will be Volvo's second electric offering in India after the fully electric XC40 Recharge last year. Now, Volvo Cars India, which manufactures in Bangalore, had earlier said it wants to be fully electric in India by around 2025, that's just two years' time, ahead of its global target of becoming a full electric car company by 2030. Volvo said the C40 offers a range of 530 kilometers on a single charge and supports fast charging, enabling 10 to 80% charging in 27 minutes. Expected price, 60 lakh rupees. And among some international news with relevance to us before I go, the European Union has said it may seek the breakup of Google's ad tech business after it charged the tech giant with abusing its dominance of the online advertising technology industry. The European Commission, the European Union's antitrust regulator, said Google abused its dominant role in the buying and selling of online ads across third-party websites and apps to drive business and give other advantages to its own advertising auction house, known as the ad exchange. This unit of alphabet could, for instance, be required to sell off its ad server that works with website publishers and its advertising exchange, Margaret Vestager, the EU's competition chief, told the Wall Street Journal. That's it from me for today. I hope you have a great day and do share this podcast with friends and family if you like it and send in your feedback to me on govindraj at thecore.in. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you 
including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core dot in. Thank you for listening.